the wilderness worked wonders in their attitude. You know how you know when you're getting ready to come out of a wilderness? You're okay with the wilderness. All of a sudden, it's okay. Even if you're in a wilderness, God's going to provide for you there. That's how you know you're about to launch. The wilderness worked. It's time now for the Autumn Miles Show. Hey, hey, guys. It is your girl, week three of winning in the wilderness. You know that song, all I do is win, win, win. I don't know if that's a good song or not, but that's what's going through my head (laughs) right now. Win, win, win. How do we win in our wilderness? Guys, this is week three. I'm obsessed with this week. Obsessed. I shared this content with my husband last night and he was like, Autumn, that is so good. And I'm like, I know. We we were geeking out over our steak dinner last night over um, the Israelites in the wilderness. It was like... anyone that the waiter came a couple times and he was like looking at us like what are you guys even talking about and I'm like sit down and I'll talk about Hebrew with you but he didn't sit down and whatever anyway it's gonna be a awesome message after the break hang with me because there is a purpose for that wilderness that you find yourself in okay God is transforming you and it's it's just gonna breathe so much life into you love you so much okay here we go what God is doing in my life, uh, worlds, my worlds, I would like to talk in this moment about my 14-year-old son. My 14-year-old son is wonderful, but he's 14. And so with 14-year-old sons, there is a lot that goes into their minds. They're in a wilderness. <laughs> They're in a wilderness of their own. That's really funny, actually, based on a conversation I had with him yesterday. They're in a wilderness of their own. And let me give you an example. We really challenge our kids to have good grades. And um, my son, is a, he has the potential to be a straight-A student. And he is getting an 80 in Spanish, and he knows that. And I said, and we've also taught them to take responsibility. <laughs> so last night we were talking about, to him about his grades and he said, I have an 80 in Spanish. And I said, why? Because you, you have the capability to get a better grade than that. And he goes, you're right, mom. And I take a full responsibility for the fact that I'm getting an 80 in that class. And I'm like, I see what you did there. Don't even mess with me with your little mind games going on. He thinks he was going to get credit for the full responsibility, but um, it actually is not a good thing because he's better than that. Anyways, he's in this new world of his and in this new world of his he's decided that this new world of his comes with the dress code okay a dress code that I don't like I think he's he's wearing you know and I know you I'm gonna get pushback on this but it's okay because it doesn't matter um he loves all of the you know Nike shorts in the t-shirts and I know every kid is wearing those but he's so just so cute like just dress up a little bit like a little collared shirt why is a button-down shirt so hard to ask for 
You're a beautiful child. You're a handsome child. Like, put on a button-down shirt. Absolutely not, Mom. I'm not wearing that. That's so dorky. I'm like, oh, my gosh. it's You look so handsome. Anyway, he's got this dress code in his head, and he wants, you know, the athletic shorts and the shirts and the shoes and whatever. And so my husband told me very calmly... <laughs> Just let this battle go. So I am. Guys, I'm trying so hard. I'm trying so hard to let this go. But I, it's hard. Okay. It's hard. I'm letting them go. I'm letting it go. So he has told me no pink. I will not wear pink. And I said, okay, yeah, I I get that. He doesn't want to wear pink. Whatever. I, I don't really care about the color. But he's made it very clear. There'll be a shirt that has like a Nike pink swoosh on it. And he's like, no, I don't like that shirt. And I'm like, okay, great. No problem. I won't buy it. Um, No pink, mom. Absolutely no pink. Okay, I got it. So my husband and I went to an athletic shop the other day. And we walked in. And they had shorts like 70% off. And so I'm th- I have four kids. So I have to clothe four bodies besides my own and besides my husband. So I'm thinking okay, I'm going to buy my son athletic shorts because they're in his dress code, except for the fact that these shorts had pink on them. And I'm like, no, I'm not buying them because I'm not going to have that conversation when I come home that mom, why'd you buy me pink shorts? Because I'm just not doing it. I'm doing what my husband said. I'm choosing my battle. I'm not going to force the pink shorts on them, even though they're name brand and they're athletic, which I would kill for as a kid because we didn't have name brand anything. Anyway, I digress. So I don't buy him the shorts. My husband gets a lot of stuff. He gets nothing. And uh, we came home and he's like, you know, you should have bought me some stuff. And I'm like, I can't. They're pink. They're out of your dress code. You guys, I kid you not. I kid you not. One week later, the sale is still going on at the store. My husband takes Jude to this specific store. Jude goes in to this specific store and when he comes out and has a bag, he's like, mom, look at my shorts. And they are the same athletic shorts that were pink that he told me was not in dress code that he bought to wear and put on his body. And I just thought, Lord, this is a good time to rapture me home. I mean, it's just a really good time because I don't know anymore. Do I buy the pink? Do I not buy the pink? So y'all pray for me raising these high school kids. At this point, the seven-year-olds are way easier than the high schoolers are. Uh, anyway, so that's, that's what's happening in my world. I'm very confused. Uh, is there a dress code anymore? I don't know. I don't know. As a matter of fact, if you ever meet Jude, will you ask him that? Cause, cause I don't know. I'm not sure there is a dress code anymore because he just blew my mind and now I don't know what to think. So y'all pray for me. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that's what's happening in my world. I'm in a wilderness of my own when it comes to my son and what he wears. Anyway, we will be back right after the break with week three of how do you win in the wilderness? How do you win? So good. Share this guys because someone is in a wilderness in your world and they need encouragement. I'll see you after the break. Hey guys, it's Autumn and I want to know family, what is God doing in your life? 
If you have a recent praise report about God's faithfulness, we all want to know about it. I want to know, my team wants to know, and your brothers and sisters in Christ that listen to this show want to know. You can share your story by emailing hello at autumnmiles.com or you can direct message me on Facebook or Instagram by searching Autumn at the top of the page. I want to hear about it, guys. Let's tell the world what God is doing in your life so we all can be encouraged by your journey of faith. Okay, we're back. And I want to just add on to my monologue. Funny story. He's going to homecoming, the homecoming dance with a a very sweet girl this weekend. And she's got a pink flowers on her dress. And guess what color tie we bought him to go with the girl's dress? It was hot pink. So So when I say I don't know, I really don't know. Okay, someone help me over here. Anyways, okay, we are back and I love, I hope you've uh, been loving this series as much as I have, you guys. It's, oh my gosh, it's just been so good for me and I know we have heard from so many of you guys on this series and God only knows, I don't know, who knows, maybe I'll write a book about this because there's, there's a lot of little things that I can't get to just because of time and there's some things I'd like to spend more time on, but I wanted to leave you on a positive note. There's so many people that talk about the wilderness and they're like, I'm in a wilderness and it's so discouraging. And, you know, I'm struggling right now. And, you know, but I wanted to show you the effects of the wilderness. I want to parallel for you today what happens to specifically Israel when they went into the wilderness right out of Egypt. And I want to show you the difference when they came out of the wilderness. I want to take this parallel perspective because with the benefit of hindsight, we can look back and we can see that Israel needed that wilderness. It was necessary for them. Now, God, of course, knew that they needed the wilderness, just like he knows you and I need those wilderness seasons. But when you look and you parallel the difference in the body of people, they are not the same people. Now, they are physically not the same people, obviously, because there's a generation that died in the wilderness. But he vastly transformed the culture. He transformed so many things about them. When they went in, they were different than when they came out. To me, this is going to blow your mind. At least I did mine. Like if you hate it, then sorry. But I actually think that this is um, what we need to hear. Those of us that are struggling in the middle of the wilderness, we need to see that there's a benefit, right? Like, God, why are you putting me through all this stuff? This is hard. Well, the benefits far outweigh the challenges that you are facing right now. It is beneficial. I'm going to prove it to you. I want to go to my first text, okay? When you feel willing to take the next step and not know all the details, 
in your life, you are growing, okay? When you're in a wilderness season, and this is one of the things I want to show you, Israel, when they went into the wilderness, Israel was grumbling, they were complaining, and they wanted to know every single step that God wanted them to take, okay? I want to show it to you. Exodus 16, 2. Listen to what it is. When Israel went into the wilderness, this is what happens to them. They've already crossed the Red Sea. They've already um, sort of, they've seen God's power. Like they've seen it. They saw it in Egypt, but they were in the comfort of what they knew in Egypt. They cross the Red Sea. They see Pharaoh swallowed up. They see the armies swallowed up and then they're like actually in the wilderness. In the wilderness, when you first enter the wilderness, you are constantly talking to God. God, where are you? What is happening to me? Where am I? Where are things going to come from? We talked about that last week, the challenges of the wilderness. But this is who these people were when they initially went into the wilderness. Uh, Exodus 16, 2 says this, the whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. They're freshly in. Exodus 14 talks about them crossing the Red Sea. They're freshly in. They grumbled. They wanted to know, where's the water going to come from? Where's the food going to come from? And to be honest with you, I don't blame them at all. How in the world can you blame a million people for actually asking questions like, where in the world is our sustenance going to come from for our entire family? You can't. But while they're grumbling and complaining against Moses and Aaron, they're actually not grumbling and complaining against Moses and Aaron. Moses and Aaron just gave them an object to complain to. They were actually grumbling and complaining against God himself. That's what happens to most of us when we enter. That's our perspective. We grumble, we complain. They got what they wanted. They're released from bondage but now they have no control. As a result, they complain coming out of Egypt. But when they come out of the wilderness 40 years later, there's a different vibe in Israel. Joshua 1, 10 through 14 says this, and I'm, I'm going to read it straight to to you. I talked about this and when the new makes you nervous, but I want to parallel 40 years have passed. You guys, these people are, are technically not the same people, but the mentality is not the same. The culture is not the same. They've seen God continually day after day after day show up. The grumbling and complaining has subsided. They're no longer constantly questioning God like they did when they entered the wilderness. And here we see in Joshua 1, you guys know what happens. God is having a one-on-one -on -one conversation with Joshua. And he says, be strong and courageous. Go into the land that I've given you. And he gives Joshua several different commands. 
Joshua then goes to the officers. Listen to what I'm saying. Joshua 1, 10 through 14. And he says this, Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, 11, Pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, saying, Prepare provisions for yourselves, for within three days you are about to cross this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess to the Reubenites, to the Gadites, to the half tribe of Manasseh. Joshua said, remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord commanded you saying, the Lord, your God gives you rest and will give you this land. Okay. He goes on and he makes some more statements. I'm going to skip those verses. But when he gets to verse 16, I want to show you the difference in the attitude of the people 40 years removed. They're no longer grumbling and complaining. After Joshua literally says, pack everything up, pack provisions for yourself for three days. We're about to enter this land. This is their response. They answered Joshua. They grumbled and complained about Moses and Aaron. They answered Joshua saying, all that you have commanded us, we will do. Wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. And then they say that this is the same people who made the golden calf. This is the same people that grumbled and complained. This is the same people that decided not to go into the promised land 40 years earlier. This is what they say. Anyone who rebels, verse 18, 118, against your command and does not obey your words and all that you command him shall surely be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. The wilderness worked the grumbling and complaining and needing to know and needing to control and needing to be aware and needing to think that they know everything instead of God and needing to give Moses suggestions and needing to uh, build their own God to worship. It worked it all out of them. No longer did they need to grumble and complain? Why? Because God had proved himself so many times to them in the wilderness that they no longer had a question whether God was going to come through or not. They just knew he would. So when Joshua said, pack it up, pack up your families, three days, we're moving out. They're facing a different body of water. They're facing the Jordan this time. They had no question as to how it was, whether it was going to open up or not. They just knew that if God said, pack up, we're going forward, that he was going to make a way. He was going to make a stream in the desert. He was going to make a river, a highway. That's what God was going to do. Do you see the difference the wilderness made? I can't even believe this is the same people. Anyone who rebels against your command and does not obey your words and all that you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Do you see any grumbling there? No. 
because the wilderness worked in them. This is beautiful to me. Because I can even sense in my own life when when God is putting me through something that's challenging and that's hard. And I know I'm entering a uninhabited space, a wilderness. Midbar is the Hebrew word. I'm entering that spiritually. My first response is to grumble and complain. And then time passes. And the Lord speaks to my spirit. And the Lord reveals things to me that I wouldn't have learned in Egypt. And then all of a sudden, I become at peace with just watching God work in my life. And I stop asking him for every direction every time. I stop needing to know because I know he knows. I stop trying to control because I know he's in control. I stop trying to tell him what to do because he has got a plan that he's trying to get me to do. The wilderness worked wonders in their attitude. You know how you know when you're getting ready to come out of a wilderness? You're okay with the wilderness. All of a sudden, it's okay. Even if you're in a wilderness, God's going to provide for you there. That's how you know you're about to launch. The wilderness worked. They stopped complaining. The second thing that they did is they became solely and completely dependent on God alone. We need the wilderness. Some of us need the wilderness. Some of us are benefiting a lot from the wilderness because it's taking us from the comfort and the predictability of Egypt and it's putting our Trust, not in the Egyptians taking care of us. It's putting our trust in God and God alone. You know what? God does not want you to be dependent on the Egyptians in your life any longer. He wants your trust solely on him and him alone. And this is what the wilderness did for the nation of Israel. I want to read um, Numbers 13. 17 to you. Numbers 13, 17 says this, and this is a beautiful picture of a parallel uh, when the Israelites went into the wilderness. And then I'm going to read you in just a second, the attitude and the dependence on God when they came out of the wilderness. This is what it says in Numbers 13, 17. When Moses sent them, now Moses is sending out 12 spies. This is the first time that they went into the land of Canaan to go spy out the land because the people asked for it. The people are saying, you know, God is saying for us to go into this land, but we don't know what's in this land. So Moses listened to the people and he actually sent 12 spies. And these were not stupid people. These were people that were very, very smart. These were people that were warriors that were leaders in the nation of Israel. And Moses sends them into Canaan, and this is what he says. When Moses sent them in, verse 17, Numbers 13, 17, to spy out the land of Canaan, he said to them, go up there into the Negev. Then go up into the hill country. See what the land is like. Now, God has already spied out this land. 
God has already said, I know what's in the land. It's flowing with milk and honey. Go in and take the land. But the people wanted humans eyes on the land because at that point they were not completely dependent on God. So they sent all these people on these 12 spies in the land. Moses says, verse 18, see what the land is like, whether the people who live there are strong or weak, whether there are many or few, God already knows all of this information, but the people just had to know because they weren't dependent on him yet. How is the land in which they live? Is it good or bad? How are the cities in which they live? Are they open camps with fortification? How is the land? Is it fat or lean? Are there trees in it or not? Make an effort then to get some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the time of the first ripe grapes. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zen as far as at Lebohamath. When they had gone up into Negev, they came to Hebron, where Ahaman, Sheshai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, were. Then they came to the valley of Eshkol, where they cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes, and they carried it on a pole between two men with some of the pomegranates and figs. That place was called the valley of Eshkol because of the cluster which the sons of Israel cut down from there. When they went into the wilderness, when they entered, they needed to confirm for themselves what's in this land. God's told us is flowing with milk and honey, but what exactly is in this land? So they sent the 12 spies in the land in order to confirm what God has already said. Now, 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 next, they're about to actually, after 40 years, enter the promised land. And this is what happens. There is a change in command uh, with Joshua, and there is a change in how they do things. And let me tell you something right now. Joshua learned. He learned. He learned what happened and what did not go good in 40 years previous when he went into the land with the other 11 spies and they came back with a bad report. He learned from that. And here we are 40 years later, you guys, 40 years later, and he changes his entire way that he is going to go and survey the land. 40 years had passed. He did not send 12 spies in. He sent two spies in and he sent them to do what the 12 spies were supposed to do the first time. When they came back, you guys, when the two spies came in back 40 years later, this was the report that these two spies gave to Joshua. Then the two men returned and came down from the hill country and crossed over and came to Joshua. They had just visited Rahab, the son of Nun, and they related to him all that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, this is so different from the first time. They said to Joshua, surely the Lord has given us the land into all the land into our hands. Moreover, all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before us. I want to make this point because it's very, very important. 
The reason they sent 12 spies in is because they didn't fully depend on God. 40 years later, they were all depending on God. They had to depend on God. The very shoes on their feet did not even wear out for 40 years because God even sustained their clothing, you guys. They had learned through the wilderness, he is trustworthy. I can depend solely on him. The stench of Egypt was not found any longer in their dependence on God. They didn't care about Egypt anymore. That was way long gone. They had transferred their dependence on God and God alone. The wilderness did that in them. So that when Joshua sent out the two spies, they came back with a full favorable report. The wilderness worked. The wilderness was necessary because the spies 40 years ago were right. There were giants in the land. There were fortified cities. And in order to overcome them 40 years later, Israel had to be solely dependent on the words of God and God alone. And they didn't have to know all the answers because God already knew how they were going to tear down Jericho and how that AI was going to get demolished and how they were going to literally step by step take complete occupation of the land. They didn't have to know how because at that point, God already knew how for them and they finally believed him they needed the wilderness they needed the wilderness the wilderness worked in them the last thing i want to talk about is they became respected this is probably my favorite point that god showed me and it it kind of makes me emotional honestly if i think about it too hard Going to my scripture here. When they came out of Egypt into the wilderness, they were oppressed, disrespected, abused people. Pharaoh looked at them as nothing. They were his pawns. They were his slaves. They were, uh, you know, the story of Joseph was just legendary at that point. I mean, it was like not that like (laughs) he was long gone. It was sad. How Israel was viewed when they first entered the wilderness. Let me read this text to you. In Exodus 14, this just shows you the state of disrespect that Israel was used to as they entered the wilderness. Exodus 14, 10 through 12 says this. Pharaoh, when he realized that they were leaving and they weren't going to, uh, he wasn't going to be able to bring them back. He tried to bring them back like we talked about in the first week. So we chased them. Verse 10 says this, Exodus 14, 10. As Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they became very, very frightened. So that the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt saying, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians for it would be better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. 
not only how they were looked at and how they were disrespected by Pharaoh, how they were disrespecting themselves and no confidence that they would even be able to survive in the wilderness because, again, they weren't dependent on God just yet. I find it very interesting, though, that Pharaoh chased them. Pharaoh looked at Israel as if they were his property. If I chase them and I go after them and I round them up, they'll come back because that's what they're used to for 400 years. So disrespected, so mistreated, so abused. And when they enter Canaan, God has done a work in their reputation. Let me read this to you. It's so incredibly beautiful. Y'all know I wrote a book, I Am Rahab. Um, Go get it. Go pick it up. I've worked really, really hard on that book. Forty years later, word has gotten around. And God had given them such a reputation. They were no longer, no one would dare disrespect them any longer. They weren't disrespected. No one would dare mistreat them. And this was their new reputation. Joshua 2, verse 8. Rahab is speaking to the two spies that we just talked about. Now before lay down, she now before they lay down, excuse me, she lay them on the roof. And she says to them, No. This is their new reputation. No. That God has given you the land. And that the terror of you, the terror of you, are you kidding me? (laughs) 40 years ago, they were so mistreated and disrespected and now they're feared and respected. The terror of you has fallen on us, she, an occupant of Jericho, and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. She continues, verse 10, Joshua 2.10. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. When we heard it, our hearts melted and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. This has a special place in my heart because 20 years ago, or 20, 22 years ago now, I was kicked out of my church and my everyone was gossiping about me and they were saying, can you believe the pastor's daughter got a divorce and all this kind of stuff? And my reputation was in absolute shambles. I was entering the, a very a wilderness. I was entering a wilderness. And it's absolutely incredible how God can take your reputation. He can take someone's perception of you. He can take it and he can completely change it. Since I left and everyone gossiped about me and thought I was the devil and all this kind of stuff. I've had so many people 
from my hometown come up to me and say, wow, your book ministered to me. That's a shocker. When someone you know gossiped about you was like, I really loved your book. (laughs) That's funny. Guys, he can take any reputation. He can take any outlook on you. And he can totally transform it. It, it'll take time. But look at what God did as a result of them in the wilderness. They were mistreated, abused, had a terrible reputation, were considered someone else's property. And right before they enter Canaan, the spies heard from Rahab herself, who was an occupant of Canaan, our hearts have melted away before you. We've heard what your God did for you. God has given you this land. They're respected. The wilderness gave God this beautiful opportunity, maybe. I don't know if that's the right word, but it gave God time to transform everyone's outlook on Israel. The wilderness did that. The wilderness did that. It's beautiful. My last verse for today is so, so incredibly beautiful. And when I saw this verse, I literally cried because uh, Joshua is standing there and um, they're about to go fight Jericho, right? They've, they've come through the Jordan. It's incredible. They're waiting to go fight Jericho. And um, they're about to observe the Passover. But God makes a statement right before they go fight Jericho, which they're on the edge of the wilderness coming into Canaan at this point. Just geographically, they're heading into Canaan at this point. They can see Jer- uh, they're on the other side of the Jordan. And the Lord makes a statement to Joshua and he says this. Then the Lord said to Joshua in Joshua 5, 9, today, today. I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. So today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. What does that mean? God could no longer see Egypt their attachment to Egypt, their attachment to the dependence on the Egyptians, their attachment to their comfort. God, right before they went and fought Jericho, could no longer see the reproach, the disrespect of Egypt on them. The wilderness did that. The wilderness made them trust God. It made them completely dependent on him. So they didn't have to know everything or control everything. And it completely changed everyone's perception of them and everyone's idea of who they were. It drastically changed their reputation. The wilderness worked in them. And I just want to say to you guys, God saw the change. God saw they were ready for Canaan. God saw that they allowed the change in their hearts and their minds and their souls 
God saw that it was time for them to come out and they came out a completely different people than when they went in. I just want to encourage you because while we, we don't like the uninhabited place of the wilderness and while we don't like the feeling of being out of control, the wilderness is good for us. We need to be solely dependent on God, not the Egyptians, for opportunity, for our food, or for any of those things. We need to take God at his word and to not grumble and complain when he asks us to do something and to not constantly be offended when God is asking us to make a move. And some of us, like myself, we need a reputation to be completely changed. The wilderness worked wonders in them, but the wilderness will work wonders in you as well. It's not for naught. God's not mean. He doesn't put you through things for no reason. The wilderness prepared them for the promised land. This wilderness you're in is preparing you for what's coming. It's an education. Remember, the wilderness is temporary. It transitions us, but it also is a good teacher. So I wanted to leave you guys with that today because I just felt um, so encouraged by that in my own life, which is one of the ways that you can win (laughs) right now in your wilderness. I hope this series encouraged you and gosh, I just love you guys. I adore you. And I'm constantly praying that God would use this avenue of ministry to affect your lives. And I don't take this lightly. I take it very seriously, but I just want to close out today with those of you that are struggling And you're thinking, I don't know if I can make it through. Well, you know what? Israel didn't either. And then God came through. Lord, I love you so much today. And I'm, I'm, you know, my heart is with those people that are saying, when is this season going to be over? When is this trial going to end? When is this uninhabited space going to lead me to where you're taking me? Spirit of God, comforter great comforter, great helper. I ask for you, Lord, to interject yourself into those situations. Show up in those wildernesses, Lord. I pray, Lord God, that you would infuse hope that you would manifest yourself very clearly to those that are struggling today with the season that they find themselves in. Lord, I pray that you would encourage their hearts, that you would remind them that this, another word for wilderness is pasture and you are their great shepherd leading them to safety. God, we trust you. We trust you with our lives. We trust you with our kids. We trust you with our next steps. We trust you. 
So Lord, I just pray that you would encourage, wrap your arms around those that are struggling today and lead them forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, catch me after the break. I've got a question and a story from you guys. I'll see you in a sec. Did you know that Autumn has many resources available to help you grow deeper in your relationship with God? By visiting autumnmiles.com, you can access them all. From there, you can find previous teachings under the podcast and media tabs, and you can order any one of the books Autumn has written. Her book, Appointed, will help you better understand that your significance is only found in God. While I Am Rahab beautifully conveys God's ability to redeem any situation you may have found yourself in. And if you want to add some heat to your prayer life and kick things up a notch, Gangsta Prayer is a book that will help you do just that. Again, you can find all these resources and more by visiting autumnmiles.com. Okay, guys, we are back. I hope that encouraged you. I, I just, I had to sit in that Joshua 5, 9, that God said to Joshua, today I've rolled away the shame of Egypt from you. And there's, um, it's just absolutely beautiful what God does through our wildernesses. And they all have a point. They all have a mission. It's like God's mission for us is a wilderness. So anyway, I've got some stories from you guys. And I also have a question from a follower. Let me do the question first. I have a question about heaven. This lady or someone says, I don't know who it is, man or a woman. Do you think we will go to heaven if we believe in God and his son, Jesus, read the Bible and pray, but have a sin that we cannot move away from? (laughs) This is a great question. Thank you for asking it. And I love that it's anonymous. Listen, uh, the Bible is very, very clear about salvation. You are forgiven. Listen, when you ask Jesus to come into your life and when you accept his forgiveness of all of your sins, you are forgiven. You believe in the name of Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved is what the scripture said, uh, says. But I want to make this very clear. Yes, yes, you will go to heaven when you confess your sins. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's what the scripture says. But I want to push back on this question just a little bit because you say, will we go to heaven if we believe in God and Jesus and read the Bible and pray, you know, you just need to be forgiven to get into heaven. You need to profess that Jesus is Lord. But you say you have a sin that we cannot move away from. And I want to just stop right there. Yes, you can get into heaven, but you also can move away from that sin. It's a trap when the enemy says this is how it's always going to be. The enemy wants to keep you in the bondage of some sin, and he wants to make the sin bigger than the Savior. And I want to encourage you, and I hope you're listening today. I want to encourage you right now, if you have something in your life that you know shouldn't be there, the Savior is bigger than that sin. Do not ever buy the lie that God's power is not greater and his blood on the cross 
is not stronger than the bondage that that sin holds on you. Because it is. Someone told my husband one time, and it was a counselor, actually, and we never, we never saw him again. It was a pastor who also counseled. My husband was talking to him about just a specific situation, and the pastor looked at my husband and said, yeah, they'll never get rid of that. And I was, like, offended that he told my husband that. My husband came home and told me, and I'm like, He's a pastor is actually saying to you that God's power is not greater than that thing. And I don't like that. And I ain't subscribing to that school of thought. No, sir. Your sin, when you confess, has to submit to the Savior. He came to free you from the bondage that it has on you okay you don't have to just live and coexist with this thing his grace covers of course thank god but you can be set free from this thing don't listen to the enemy there is power in the name of jesus so that would be my answer to that question (laughs) That might not be what you were looking for. A simple yes probably would have done you, but um, I just can't sit and say, yeah, you have to coexist with that forever. You don't. You don't. The Savior is always bigger than the situation. Always. That's why he came. That's why he came and overpowered sin and death. That's why he came. That's why he came. Okay, here's uh, what's happening in your life. My marriage and fertility were both restored. (laughs) That's awesome. My hope to have hope has also been restored. That's what's happening in our family, guys. My marriage and my fertility were both restored. And my hope to have hope has also been been restored. I actually have another one today. I've been praying and fighting for my husband to get into therapy. It has been many months. I had given up and we were in a very bad place. I shared with some trusted friends who prayed for me. And just last week, my husband started therapy. This showed me not only the importance of prayer, but the importance of godly community. And I'm very thankful. You guys, my marriage was restored. Fertility was restored. My husband went and go to therapy. And because of prayer, he just started therapy. You guys, do you see what God is doing in our community? This is the God who came, sent his son to overcome death, hell, and the grave for you and me. God is moving amongst us. And it's so awesome just to see. Uh, Send me your stories. Hello at autumnmiles.com. I want to hear how God is moving in your life. And you guys, I love you so much. I will see you next week for a brand new edition of the Autumn Miles Show. I'll see you then. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Autumn Miles Show. Be sure to follow Autumn on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube to stay connected and in the loop with what's happening with the ministry. Just search for Autumn Miles in your internet browser. AutumnMiles.com 
is also the place where you can book Autumn for your next speaking engagement. She is devoted to spiritually challenging people and the way that they think. She is a passionate advocate for the Word of God, women, domestic violence victims, and adoption. Reach out today and book Autumn for your next speaking engagement. Just go to autumnmiles.com. Once you're there, search the top of the index for the Invite Autumn tab. Then scroll down for more information. Thanks again for joining us today. Be sure to tune in next time for another episode of The Autumn Miles Show.